Thank you for joining us for episode 6 of Fintech Fika with Chris Papathanasi and me, Tim Tyler. Every Wednesday at 12 noon UK, we take 30 minutes on LinkedIn Live to talk all things fintech. This time, Chris and I talk about the issue of trust and what this means for banks. Indeed, what do we even mean by trust? From trust and security through to trust and delivery and execution. Plus, how trust is perceived differently from retail banks to corporate banks. If you want to express your opinion, remember, don't forget to use the hashtag FintechFika. Hey everybody and welcome to Fintech Fika, where we aim to bring you a very informal conversation on all things corporate banking and technology. And as always, I'm here with mother, none other than Mr. Tim Tyler. How are you doing, Tim? Yeah, Chris, I'm very good. I'm counting down the days until the hairdressers open, but otherwise all good. Me too, me too, me too. <laughs> Got your coffee, so this is our this is our chat over a coffee. Um, and today we're speaking about trust in banking. Now, this is an interesting topic. It's uh, prompted a number of questions in, in my mind on the idea of, you know, what trust in banking means and what should we be trusting our banking partners with? Um, and there was an interesting article uh, that I read that talked about a survey that was conducted by Accenture. Um, they surveyed over 1,300 small and medium-sized enterprises, um, and it suggested that only 35% of those organizations seek financial advice uh, from their bank, whilst 55 sought advice from a third party. So here is a classic example of where there's an opportunity for banks to be trusted with something like financial advice. But then we've also got things like, um, can we trust our banks in terms of uh, our money being safe? Um, you know, how much money can I have in a single account before it's no longer guaranteed by the state? Um, we've also then got trust in the speed of service. Um, you know, the effectiveness and the efficiency of the service. Can I trust my bank to, to offer me a service and execute transactions uh, in a way that doesn't negatively impact my business? And I'm sure, uh, Tim, there are many more. So um, where do you want to start? Well, I, yeah, no, I, I think it, the whole thing about trust is a really interesting uh, area of banking. I think uh, one of the comments I made online about this is, is a banking license the gold standard in trust? And when you look at how new entrants are coming into the space that either are unlicensed at the beginning or then have, for example, a money license or equivalent, depending upon jurisdiction, up to a full banking license, does that give you a, an element of trust? And I think banks and FIs have been having to build this back up since 2008 because everybody thought we trusted them and then all of a sudden we got uh, knocked back a bit. Um, but to your point there, it, it's what are we actually trusting them with? And I think perhaps generationally that's changing as well. And when we look at consumer banking to enterprise banking, corporate banking, commercial banking, etc., I think perhaps it's different as well because what influences what we do on the retail side and uh, you know everybody that works for an enterprise will typically be a consumer banker as well because we've all got bank accounts so everything we experience as individuals 
influences our perception in terms of what we expect and what we want from corporate banking. And the example there is, so we're very cautious perhaps, and we'll know about regulatory protection and the fact that, you know, there's a, a limit below which your funds are protected within a bank, within Europe, EU, UK, etc. Um, but my kids aren't aware of this, for example, and they're very much neobank. You know, they're very much into challenger banks because it's all about the app, it's all about the phone. So for them, can I trust my bank is, will the app work when I want it to work? And they don't really think much beyond that, I'm not sure at the moment. Yeah, and um, we, I mean, we talked, we touched on this uh, a few few FICA sessions ago, right? It it seems like there is <clears throat> going to be a, a shift of trust, right? Moving away from you know the the traditional like banking service, the the relationship manager being that person you trust towards the technology um, being the thing that you trust most about banking. Um, interesting point. Right, that that you made there about you know, say, people of our generation, right, knowing about um, you know that the the regulation over which you know your money is safe, right, how much money you can have in a bank um, before it's it's not necessarily guaranteed. Um, I, I think back to two thousand thirteen, where you know there were there were billions and billions of, of euros lost. Right by depositors because there was a, a bail-in uh, in Cyprus. Um, I don't know if you heard about that, but um, you know many people were not aware of, of how much money you know you need to have in the bank um, before it's not guaranteed. And you know I have family members, for example, who you know they had businesses, uh, very successful businesses, had cash in the bank, were not aware of this, and, and overnight you know their money had disappeared. Um, so, you know, that has led to a lot of distrust. And I wonder if, you know, if, if through more education, through more advisory, you know, there, there, there would have been an opportunity for people to, to have saved, you know, um, their, their finances, right? The capital that they'd worked so hard to, to, you know, to build up. Uh, well, I, I think that scenario there, of course, is it was to the benefit of, uh, the government not to inform consumers about protection limits because you know that that's where they got the benefit of just effectively consuming those funds during the bail-in if they'd have educated people about you know the, the spreading your risk across multiple providers because each banking group each license holder has its own um protection limit so you can mm -hmm. spread those across many they wouldn't have actually you know, scooped up as many euros um, centrally. As they needed more. Yeah, so, you know, the double-edged sword. I mean, I agree with you, you know, it would be good to think we could have that education around. And then when you compare that to uh, the corporate world and corporate banking, where people obviously are going to be in tune with what's going on, you then see corporates dis distributing their risk across multiple banks and, and service providers around that. Not so much from the perspective of there being a, a limit within which they can operate, because I don't believe those limits apply to corporates, it's just a mm. consumers. Um, but, you know, th they're hedging their risk effectively by using 
a number of banks and they'll be keeping their eye on those sorts of positions and yeah. shifting funds appropriately, I guess. But there is a distinct difference yeah. between how the consumer will play and how a, a corporate treasurer, for example, will play in the space. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, you think about other types of, of, of trust, right? So, you know, as a corporate treasurer, I've been, I'm, I'm always talking about lending. <laughs> um, as a corporate treasurer, you want to be sure that your bank is going to to get things right. Um, I know many corporate treasurers in the lending space, for example, are having to reconcile right the the, the interest calculations um, that they receive uh, from from their bank because they simply don't trust the banks uh, to get it right. I mean, it's a it's a very you know it's a complicated um, asset class, right? Corporate lending, and there are many variables and, and and there's activity that that takes place throughout the life of the loan that can influence you know how interest is calculated, right? Covenants that impact pricing, um, trading activity, early repayments, and things like that. Uh, nevertheless, you know, th these are things that I think in this day and age, you know, you would expect, um, you know, to, to be to be right. Right. And 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 things that you would expect to be made very transparent. But um, most of the time it, it isn't. Um, and, you know, corporate treasurers have told me, you know, that they spend a lot of time doing loan administration. So there is a level of can I trust my my bank to actually provide me with with a service that is correct so i don't have to spend time doing the things that i expect my bank to do to the point where, where they would be willing to pay more in in in, in interest rate for that service oh you got me thinking earlier as well chris when you sort of gave the the implication i guess or perhaps it's just how i read what you said that you know, are we seeing a shift now from trust in people to trust in technology? And perhaps in the past, you would trust an individual, you had a relationship. And we've talked on previous FinTech Peakers about the shift away from relationship banking to some extent to marketplaces and, you know, all roads lead to platform. Um, but I wonder whether that is a shift, particularly, you know, as we said, a generational shift on top of it as well, where people are looking more to put their trust in the technology than individuals. And it's, yeah, you could argue that, you know, it's individuals that make mistakes. Even if it's the technology that goes wrong, it's the individuals that created the technology. So if you put your faith in the tech, you've probably got well-placed faith. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know if you've seen that, that dynamic shift recently as well to from relationship to technology I, I i mean certainly i think people people are i mean they're putting their faith in the technology you know in in certain areas right the faith in technology is around efficiency it's around you know execution it's around scalability um you know it's it's the speed at which things can be done it's around transparency, right? So, you know, as, as consumers, we all have internet banking and we can immediately access um, information on a screen that we would otherwise have to go to the bank for. Um, but at the same time, we, 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 you know, the trust comes in, in the data that sits behind that, right? Because if, for example, what we're, we're seeing on, on screen is wrong all the time, um, we're, we're simply going to lose trust. And I think on the consumer side, it goes back to, 
to this uh, concept of there being you know a lot more data sources provided you know, for banks to provide um, a, a better more customized bespoke service so everything I'm looking at is tailored towards me it's it's rarely wrong and that you know instills a level of, of confidence in me and I think that's where we're we're moving to on the, on the, on the corporate side of things and I think data is, is then so important because it's not just about how quickly or how efficient a bank can operate but it's how how tailored can can they make you know pr provide that service um, to me um, you know and it's about me being confident that the service they are uh, presenting me with uh, is 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 the right is the right service to me and there's an interesting um, quote that I heard <laughs> or I read on uh, uh, the other day which was you know um, in God we trust and everything else give me the data you know it's it's a powerful powerful thing I I mean you mentioned the word transparency a few times there Chris and data and the importance of that and building trust off the back of it. It actually, it takes me back in time. And look, I've been in financial technology in some shape or form my entire working career. Um, you know, having started life as a, a trainee programmer and now talking to you. Um, I, I don't know if that's an improvement over the, the years or not. But um, it, it takes me back to... Uh, 12 to 15 years ago, um, launching online banking with, in the retail space with a number of banks uh, and trying to get them to understand that, you know, that transparency issue, now that you're going into a real-time channel world, you can't just hide mistakes under the carpet. So, and actually, bizarrely, we had this uh, just 18 months ago with a bank that we were talking to in the corporate space who were saying, but we need to be able to back value entries. And it's like, right, you do realize that back valuing entries, everything's transparent now. And not only transparent, but interconnected as well. So you're trying to cover up a mistake, perhaps, by back valuing a posting as if you've done it on time. But that data's already flowed through to that corporate treasury management system. You know, they've already seen what the position is, and now you want to go and change history. You know, so from a trust perspective, I think uh, banks and organisations have also got to be open to admitting their mistakes, because if you try and cover up those mistakes, you're perhaps disrupting that trust that you're working so hard to build. I completely agree, and um, you know, I think corporate banking banking is a like I said before, it's it's a complex thing, and and as we move into a more digital world, that is an absolute concern for banks, right? How do we, you know, manage this these asset classes, right? Um, and you know, uh, from an operational standpoint, do the things we need to do to make things right. Um, and still, you know, ensure that the customer does not have to see all of the mistakes we're making and is, you know, um, impacted by that. But to your point, which is an interesting one, right? Maybe, maybe that's, that's, that's the wrong way of looking at it. Maybe it is about, about being transparent, right? And saying, okay, here, you know, here is your, here is your statement effectively. And, and it shows a number of entries. Um, because we made some mistakes, but rest, be rest assured, you know, we've resolved those. 
Look, it's, you know, the, the whole thing is a challenge. I'm just looking at some of the comments, actually, that people yeah. are, are, are posting. And, and there's some interesting stuff. You know, I, I was going to say that one of the questions is about um, how can we be sure that I'll be able to access my cash? And uh, so thanks to him. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks to him. Uh, and I hope I pronounced that right for that question. And I think this comes back to the original proposition about is a banking license the gold standard in trust? So how can you be sure that you'll be able to access my cash? Regulator, I would suggest, is a strong way of doing that. And actually, you've got to conform to what the regulatory requirements are and, you know, whatever reserves you've got, et cetera, that, you know, the, the bank is safe and the bank isn't going to go belly up and we're not going to see a run on the bank, which we've seen in numerous countries of particular banks um, over time. I think, was it Northern Rock in the UK was the latest one a number of years ago that we saw that happening. Um, but then, to you know, the, the contrast that that is, which, Dan, you've posted, and thank you for this comment, um, you know, in relation to the Wirecard uh, issue, how can we trust the regulators? You know, so if we're saying, you know, trust is built off the back of a license because you've gone through audit, you go through compliance, you report into the regulator. Yeah. But, you know, who is policing the regulator? Yeah, I think perhaps we get onto um, perhaps a little bit of dodgy ground if we uh, think about that. Well, yeah, and then that, that begs, you know, that brings us to the, the topic of like, you know, centralized versus decentralized and you know technologies such as blockchain and how that can help you know r remove you know some of the risks associated with you know a a, a centralized model um <laughs> you know it's, it's well just so look i mean <laughs> the blockchain you, you could start then contemplating um you know fiat currencies mm -hmm. and the, the digital fiat currencies perhaps mm -hmm. which are backed by a central bank, but then as we see around the world, non-fiat or fiat currencies which aren't backed by a central bank, um, mm. and you've got Elon Musk tweeting about this as well, you know, you're very much having faith in technology. Then, yeah. So that other premise around are we shifting our trust away from people, our old, you know, we used to know our bank manager scenario um, yes. to, you know, is the service available or does the service keep dropping out to now right. this rather vacuous distributed ledger mechanism where everybody's got access to everything in some form, although it's locked, it's encrypted. So we have to trust the encryption. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you get the issue of, well, but still, how do you trust that? Because how do you ensure what you've got is safe and secure? Um, there was an article a few weeks ago about someone who is going to pay however many millions of dollars to have a, uh, a council tip dug up because their memory stick with the encryption key on their Bitcoin wallet is on that memory stick and their Bitcoin are now worth 200 million or something. Yeah. You know, it's, but on the other end of encryption, you've got governments building into law the fact that you've got to disclose your encryption key mm. should you be required to do so um yes. you know i 
there's a phrase in the UK about police and who polices the police. And actually, the public polices the police. You know, they're a public service. I know that's not necessarily uh, something that we'd all um, suggest is equal and even around the world. Um, but, you know, it, it comes back to, and I did come across this Latin phrase during the week, Chris, and I'm going to have to read yeah. this because uh, my Latin isn't fantastic, which is quis custodia ipsos custodis. And that's from the Roman poet Juvenal from his satires. And that is all about policing the police. Mm. So ultimately, how far up do you want that trust to go? Um, you know, it's, and actually, well, trust then in banking, trade finance comes off the very back of lack of trust. Yeah. And therefore banks filling in those trust corners, you know, where you've got obligors and what have you that you know, <clears throat> building those correspondent banking relationships where mm. banks are trusting each other and that daisy chain effect. But, mm. you know, it's, I think fundamentally there, if there is a shift to that trust and technology and therefore yeah. perhaps if the, you know, who polices the police, if the public police the police, then actually <laughs> it's the public that police technology as we move to open source. So perhaps that's an angle of how do you build trust in banks? Does technology need to go open source? Now, perhaps I shouldn't be saying that, working for a, a fintech, but perhaps that's, you know, what will happen further down the line. Mm. And there's a, there's a question that's come in from, um, from Moira, thank you. Uh, so she says, how does industry data recognize sustainability, su succession planning, agility, diversity of individual business, finan financial data point in time? Um, and I think then, you know, this does lead to, you know, trust in technology because it's through the technology that we will be able to plug into industry and businesses to determine, you know, some of the things that Moira, Moira um, has pointed out here, right, around, you know, how how the industry, rec you know, is able to, 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 to look into the future, right, around the, the viability of, of, of their customers, the sustainability of them, you know, uh, make sure they are working with them to ensure the survival and health um, of them. Uh, but but one thing to point out there is she talks about diversity in the question, right? And and as we rely more and more on the technology and more and more on the the analytics that it provides, right? You know, with with a with a richer set of data available to us, we then get you know to the subject um, that that we've talked about before, right? Of of bias, right? In algorithms. <laughs> And, and that goes back to who's policing the, the, the police, right? So, you know, ultimately the technology is created by people, you know, the behaviors, you know, are influenced by culture and it's almost a bit of a vicious, vicious circle. Uh, well, look, firstly, data. And, you know, we were speaking with Tipco last week about um, yes. big data and what you can do with data and the learnings we can take from Formula One and the iterations and well done to Lewis at the weekend, by the way, fantastic race if you didn't see it, great opening to the season. Um, but looking forward as well, I think, you know, at sustainability and, and green banking, eco-banking, um, there's a piece I think, and maybe something we ought to pick up on on a future FinTech FICO is about provenance and being able to prove and demonstrate provenance in um, your customers as a bank. 
So both in terms of the financing that you're providing, where does that financing come from? Because people want to perhaps yeah. be financed by um, money that has green credentials. So yes. I as a bank am perhaps lending to and taking deposits from, importantly, mm. um, you know, entities which have a good eco statement and working to standards themselves. So I think provenance would be a great thing to talk about and how perhaps um, distributed ledgers can play a part mm -hmm. within that. Um, but looking to the future and uh, the data that we hold against our clients, and you're right, you know, that um, algorithmic bias is a big thing that Finastra is looking at at the moment. And I think that's definitely something we've got someone that's going to be coming on talking about how we're looking to address that. Um, because uh, policing the police, we've got to police those algorithms. Yeah. You know, it, I, and you know, who's auditing the decisions that algorithms are making and understanding, you know, which way they're swinging. I, you know, a very messy area, I would suggest at the moment. Yeah, yeah, and um, I mean, on on that point, I think um, the other aspect, the other aspect of, of trust in banking is around, you know, not just you know where the money's coming from, but but what are you doing with with the you know the money that you make from my business? So how you know what are banks doing around corporate social responsibility? How how are the profits they're making, you know, um, being used positively to help you know impact? Um, you know, the world, the economy, the environment, and so on and so forth. Uh, and, and again, I think this comes back to transparency, um, being much, much, much more transparent with, with, with how you operate. But, but I think they're all then bigger questions around trust, aren't they? Mm. You know, so, um, you know, how can I trust that my bank is investing in areas that I'm happy for my money to be going towards when yep. I deposit? How can I be comfortable with... You know, all of these different angles, which is why I think provenance will perhaps be yeah. a big part in trust in the future. So it's not all about, is my money going to be there these days? Trust isn't just that, um, you know, very blinkered uh, issue of here's some money on a ledger and it's part of your balance sheet, but I want to make sure I can get it when I need it. Trust now is such a bigger issue that both individual consumers and, uh, you know, enterprises up to multinational corporates are very mm -hmm. conscious of. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes and how we police it. So perhaps I think the key question is, you know, not how do we build trust, but how do we uh, police trust in the future? Mm, very interesting. And maybe that makes for uh, another FICA session, Tim. Well, look, it, it's been great looking at the comments that we've got on this one. So if you've been commenting down below, thank you very much for that. If you've got such a strong view about one of the issues you've posted about, let us know and we'll love to have you on a future FICA. In fact, in a couple of weeks' time, we're talking about um, the challenge that some banks have in um, getting fintech talent on board. Mm -hmm. And somebody made a comment around that on a previous speaker. They're coming on um, in a couple of weeks' time. But uh, look, drawing this one to a close around trust, we're almost out of time. The whole thing about a fintech speaker is it's about the length of the coffee, a large coffee. Mine's starting to go cold now. Um, so look, I'd, I'd like to think, thank a, you know, the, the points that 
you've been throwing out, Chris, I think, you know, certainly some areas we can pick up on the future. Next week, we're going to be talking about, well, we've titled it 404 Not Found. Are you offering what your clients want? Mm. Or are they not finding what they're after? And another future uh, fintech feature is, does Alexa need access? The rise of digital assistance. So, look, I think some good topics coming up that we'll be able to uh, chew the fat over. Um, yes. But for now, Chris, good to talk to you as ever. Thank, Thank you, you to so everybody much. who's yeah. joined this week's FinTech Fika. And we'll see you next week, same time, 12 noon UK on LinkedIn Live. Thank you, everybody. Chris and I hope that you enjoyed that sixth episode of FinTech Fika. Our next episode is titled 404 Not Found. Are corporate banks really delivering what their customers need? Or are they on the path to irrelevance? Join us at 12 noon UK every Wednesday on LinkedIn Live or shortly afterwards here on audio. See you next time.